morning. There we go. Good morning. Let's pray. Lord, we do not want to be those who would sleep our lives away. We would want to be busy as your children serving you and doing what you've called us to do. And Lord, we just pray that you will help us to be those kind of people. And that, Lord, you will bless your word to us now. We thank you for all your goodness to us. We thank you for the wonderful word of God that you have given us your thoughts recorded on paper for us to be able to learn from. And we pray do as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Turn in your, your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 2. Very good, very good um, solo there. And I think you'll realize that uh, as I go and speak uh, on this subject, that this, the song and what we're going to hear from the word complement each other very much. And I always love that when that happens because that's not prearranged. And uh, she didn't know what I was speaking on and I didn't know what she was singing on. So it's always an encouragement. On the physical realm of sleep, which is... I uh, got off this morning at 6.30, and so I've slept about three hours. So if there's anyone that has permission this morning to close your eyes, it's me. <laughs> so I don't want to see anyone close their eyes and help me and pray that God helps me not to close my, my eyes as well. Someone has once said it's a sin to bore people with the Word of God, and uh, I certainly don't want to do that to anyone here this morning. I remember I was speaking at a church in... Sacramento, I won't name the place, many years ago. And um, there was a man right in my vision, right in my focal point of where I was looking. And for all I know, he'd been up all night. But every time I would start to speak, I'd see him do this. <laughs> and I thought, you know, and this is a young guy, so I couldn't, you know, it wasn't like he was a little bit older in years. And I thought, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do here. So I just thought I'd raise my voice. And then when I would do that, then his eyes would open. And... Uh, I'd go back and kind of get into a more of a monotone, and then he'd go back down. So one of my goals, I have to be honest with that message, was just to see, can I keep this guy awake? <laughs> Second Timothy 2.15, I want to just read one verse, and I'm going to share some others, but we're going to just look at one verse from Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul writes to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. We're going to look at this verse and take it apart and see what God has for each of us this morning. Last weekend, I was moving my uh, second oldest daughter down to San Diego State, where she's starting her first year at college. And at the opening ceremony, they have actually now for the second year a thing called a convocation. I had no idea what that was, and I was impressed that a number of learned people didn't know either what a convocation is. It's taken from the word, the Latin word convoco, which means coming together. And so the idea is is that rather than just having the commencement after college, the idea is is to gather the freshman class with their parents and family and friends to just acknowledge the start of the new academic year, which started. And so it's a good thing. 
And I was listening to speeches that the president of the college was giving, as well as the dean and some of the other doctors and instructors as they were giving little bits of information and trying to inspire the students to have high academic aspirations for the incoming freshman class, as well as those for who were transferring from a JC. And I was encouraged as I was listening to this, as I was looking at my daughter, Andrea, that she shares those same educational aspiration and goals for her life. And I thought, she better for the price this is going to cost us. <laughs> she better. And I was listening to this, uh, this, these learned men and women speak about academic issues and about discipline and about how they ought to live their academic lives, what kind of goals they ought to have. The thought crossed my mind as I was sitting in that auditorium What about it when it comes to our walk with God and how we we live our lives? What are our aspirations and goals as his people, as children of God? What is it, this new, if you like, Christian calendar years, we often think of September, where we start fall. What is it that we, in the power of the Spirit, would love to see God do a work in or accomplish in our lives this new, if you like, Christian academic calendar year? What is it that he would like to see us growing in or achieving in his name for his sake and in his power? And so as I was listening to this and I was ready to say my goodbyes to Andrea, who's our first daughter, to go away, I thought, you know, there's a lot of things I've already told her. I've told her a lot of things. You know, make sure you do this, make sure you do this, and you don't want to forget this, and all of these things that as a parent I'm trying to remember to tell her. What time to come back, what time to go to bed, you know. So what is it it that I share with her that I could give her from the Word? And, And the Lord put this verse on my heart to share with her, and I thought, well, then, you know, I believe the Lord has put it on my heart to share with you as well. Paul says in this verse, to do your best. All of the instructors were basically saying the same thing at San Diego State. They were saying to the students, do your best. Here, in the NIV translation, Paul is telling Timothy to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. When you think of that first verse, do your verse, your best to present yourself to God. I want to break it down this way. Three questions that I'm going to ask you this morning. And the first from that is, is the Lord well pleased? Is the Lord well pleased? And if you are thinking along those lines this month, this coming year, starting from September, is a fresh start. Do you have that passion? That passion for the person of Christ that you want to, above all else, have first and foremost in your mind that my ambition, Lord Jesus, in your name and in your strength is that you're going to be pleased with how I live my life. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. That word approved carries the idea 
of when you're speaking of metals that have gone through the test, through that test of fire to test the purity of the metals, God wants to see us approved and tested. Do your best. In other words, make it your aim. Aristotle said, like archers, we stand a far greater chance of hitting the target if we can see it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, so we make it our goal to what? Please him. He goes on to say, am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. This begs the question, and we have to ask ourselves this. Do we spend our lives, is, is it on our psyche? Is it on our, our minds to try to live a life to please everybody? Another way to word it, and it's kind of a blunt word, but you've heard the word. Are you a man pleaser? Or would someone say of you, that person, they really have a desire. They have the desire, the passion to be a God pleaser. What would they say of us? Whose approval, when you think of it, at the start of the day to when the sun sets, whose approval have you really been seeking that day? When I talk about this now, I want you to understand that I am not talking about something that we can do as far as from salvation standpoint. We can never earn God's approval. You can never earn God's approval in order to be saved. We could, we could work, we could work, we could work. We could do this, we could not do this. But Paul says that he saved us not on the basis of deeds, righteous deeds at that, that we have done, but according to his mercy. I want to make you understand for sure that the only work that saves us is the work that Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross. Once and for all. But the challenge is, is that God, it says, to those who have trusted in him, he has saved us to do good works that bring honor and glory to his name. And we sometimes... Make sure as Christians we don't want to emphasize that there's anything we have to do to be saved. But sometimes maybe we forget that God has called us to do good works that will please Him. And on the judgment seat of Christ, that day as believers, when we go before Him, a judgment not for our sin, but for our service and what we've done for Him. When I was thinking about this verse... Is the Lord well pleased? Is it the aim to be a God pleaser? Immediately I thought, you know, I've got something else to share to my daughter. I had just a lot of things I wanted to share with her you know, this week. And I said, you know, I've kind of noticed as we've been going over some Bible lessons over the last few weeks and again wanting to give her as much of the Word of God that I wish I'd, to be honest, given a lot more of over the years. I said, you know, I've noticed a little bit of a timidity and not maybe wanting to talk about Jesus. I do you, do you like to talk about Jesus? Do, you, do your friends... You're a good kid, I said to her, 18-year-old, young adult. I said, you're good. you got a 3.9 average. You've worked uh, since your sophomore. You don't give us any grief. You've been a, an ideal daughter that we love. 
You've really been easy compared to what I hear at work from a lot of situations with high school kids. But I said, I just kind of noticed this thing that, do people understand that the reason you're like this is because you're a believer? Remember that verse where Jesus says, you know, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. And she began to say, you know, yeah, I am dad at times. I don't, I don't like to ruffle feathers. I don't like rejection. I don't like people mocking or kind of making that face that maybe we've seen as Christians sometimes when you tell people that you're a lover of Jesus. Well, the Lord put her in a dorm. And if you're familiar with the system, when you get into a dorm, you're with another person. You have no way to pick who that other person is. And so the Lord put her with a person from the Pleasanton area who on her very first night, she had an opportunity to identify herself as a believer. I was a little concerned when I was, every, all these parents just descend on the place. There's 35,000 students in general, but there's 7,000 freshmen. And so the place is descending with all these old parents like myself coming in with their Costco this, that, and the other, you know, making sure everybody's moved in and everything you can think of that I didn't think of. I go to the, lo- uh, the local Target and that, that's all sold out of everything. It was just one day, uh, one weekend of absolute sort of stress, to be perfectly honest with you. But I was a little concerned when I saw her friend uh, putting all these shot glasses on her cupboard in her uh, bedroom, on her dresser. And then I saw the father say, now remember why you came here. And I'm just kind of watching and thinking, hmm, I wonder what he means by that. Well, that night on a Saturday night, she didn't come home, this girl. And on Sunday after we had attended a local church, she came back that afternoon and Andrea had a chance just to kind of say, not in a sense like a checking up on her, but, you know, where were you? you know, where were you? And, well, I, I, I was drunk. Uh, I stayed at my boyfriend's apartment. So I said, Andrea, right away, you got an opportunity not to... Not to be a self-righteous Christian who's just going to, you know, but an opportunity to share the love of Christ, to share the gospel as weeks and the weeks go on together. You know, when I was sharing that with her, then I was thinking of myself as well. And I said, you know what, I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite, Lord, because I'm talking to her about being a little bit timid about wanting to identify herself as a believer and with the Lord. And I thought, you know what, that's kind of crept in with myself, too. I can remember when I was overseas as a missionary in Ireland, I was standing on a street corner in the power of the Spirit with a microphone, with a sketchboard on the busiest street at O'Connell Street and Henry Street, with crowds of 100 people sometimes preaching the gospel. It didn't really matter if drunks came up and threw things or tried to break it up or people would get aggressive or abusive. Standing right there with a couple of other brothers and sisters talking about the Lord. And I was thinking back, you know what, that was actually one of the best times in my Christian life was being able to talk about Jesus in that way. Now, you can't actually take that situation and plant it right here in the Bay Area on a street corner. It's not quite the same. You're not going to get probably 100 people to walk in the Bay Area on some typical street corner in Danville. But the opportunity is just to talk about Jesus wherever he has us. And I thought, you know, Lord... I've been choosing the safe route. A little bit the safe route on that. Not quite sure why. Maybe you just don't want to rock the boat. Just don't really want to talk about it. They already know that I'm a believer. So really, there's nothing more I probably need to say. And maybe there's times where you do need to be quiet and you need to let your life speak. There's also times we've got to speak. 
Whatever that word is that the Spirit of God puts on your heart to share with them. It may not be a sermon for 30 minutes. It might just be for a minute. But how aggressive. Think about what you love to talk about. How aggressive are you talking about Jesus? I realize that God needs to renew that zeal in me. And maybe he does you too. You know, I thought of Peter as well. Remember Peter. Jesus told him, you know what? You're going to, you don't believe this, but you're going to deny me three times. Peter couldn't believe it, could he? He said, not me. And then, you know, as you read the account in the Gospels, isn't it amazing that one of the three was a young girl? You know, you think of the people we're sort of intimidated by sometimes. People that we don't really maybe want to share with. Well, here in this situation, the person that intimidated Peter was a young girl. She said, you know, you were with him. And he said, I don't know him. And after the third denial, remember, Peter remembered what the Lord said, that he would do that very thing. And it said that he went outside and wept bitterly. Those tears were not only because he realized that he had denied his Lord, but also that he had turned away from a very dear friend, a person whom had loved and taught him and ministered to him in three years like no one else. He denied him. You and I might say, I would never, I would never say I don't know him. But do we not deny him at times by our silence? When there's an opportunity to say, I know him. He's a wonderful God. He's a wonderful Savior. You know, Christ can use those who recognize their failure in this area, as Peter did. Remember, from this humiliating experience, it wasn't long after that Peter would change from a half-hearted follower in that situation to be a repentant, turning away from that type of disciple and be the kind of person that Christ could use to build his church. That's where the encouragement is. If you're in a situation like that this morning where you realize, you know, my tongue is a bit frozen when it comes to talking about Jesus. It just isn't. It needs to be thawed. Ask the Spirit of God to do that work in you. And He will. And you'll please God as you do that. You know, you say to yourself, Randy, how do, I, how do you please the Lord? How do you answer that? It's a, it's a question that would take us probably all afternoon. And we would be filled with tons of good stuff. But if you were to narrow it down, how do you please the Lord? And I would say to you in simplicity, by loving them. Because you think what happens naturally to somebody that you love. You think of all the natural things that follow to the person that you care for and you love. All the things that you do. All the kind words that you say. All the ways that you're sensitive not to want to purposely hurt this person when you love them. And you think about it today if you say, you know, Lord, I love you. Therefore, what kind of follows from that? And I'm sure you would have a lot of things to mention. We measure, and God measures our love by our obedience to His commands. Sometimes maybe we dupe ourselves into thinking, you know, as long as I know what His instructions are, and I even agree with them, I I don't have any problem, Lord, with what you've written. I know it. I agree with it. But is it another thing? Do I do it in his power 
and in his strength. I don't want to make you weary with thinking of all these things you've got to do in your own strength because you're going to utterly, miserably fail. But in the power of the Lord, do I desire to do it? Imagine in my job situation and your job situation, where in our case, we train people for one year in dispatch. And we give them all that they need to know, all the information they need. But what if it happens to the situation? Okay, now you're live. It's time. 911 rings and you just look at it. Well, no, you've got to push the button. You've got to use the mouse. You've got to speak. You've got to do something. It's not just enough to know it. Think of what your job is. Would you survive? Would you want another employee there with you who knows everything to do, but doesn't do it? You say, it's ludicrous. It doesn't work. See ya. Adios. Sometimes we dupe ourselves in the Christian realm thinking, I know it. I can tell you every book in the Bible. I can tell you how many chapter and verses. But in the most basic thing, you've gotten a little bit callous to exactly what it is that God is saying he wants you to do for this day. This day, God has something for you. God isn't a God who's stale and telling you to keep on telling you old manna. Every day he's providing manna that he wants you to take from. And I don't know what he has for you tomorrow. It could be very different from what he has for you on Wednesday, what he has for you tomorrow. But that's the exciting thing about the relationship with the Lord. He's saying, he's saying so much that he's given us from his word that he wants us to take and apply. And I believe, don't you, God knowing us better than we know ourselves, that he knows how hard we find it to obey. I just said that to my 13-year-old last night. I said, you know what I would really love to see? And I admit it, I said in a little bit of desperation. I said, I'd really love to see to when I say something to you that you really don't like what I said. In this case, can I spend the night with a friend and spend the sleepover? And I had reasons for why I said no, not just being grouchy or unreasonable. I would love it if you'd say, okay. Okay, Dad. Sure. I knew she didn't want to hear what I said. Instead, it's, but, 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 why, 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 you know. I put her on hold at work when that happened. Penalty, penalty hold. Click. (laughs) Yeah, I never went back to her. She hung up on me. Now she's grounded for a couple of days. That's why God says, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And each time we obey God, we are saying, you are saying, I love you, Lord, and I desire to please you. He knows. He knows what comes hard. He knows what naturally you don't want to obey that you might come across in this book. But I believe he's going to bless you. He blesses you in your obedience when you do that. He sees it. He knows it. Nobody else may even have a clue what that thing is that you're having to obey. That's really tough. The the flesh is really battling on this. And he appreciates it. And he's going to reward you for it. God loves an obedient, godly life on the part of his kids. If you have children today, you know it pleases you when your children say spontaneously, whatever age they are, whether they're small children or they're adults today, I love you, mom and dad. And especially as they're growing up and you're training them in the way that they should go, it pleases you when you see them obeying. 
It brings a parent such grief, doesn't it, if they have rebellious, constant rebellious children who are just making their lives miserable and sick. God says, you are the light. Paul, or actually, Paul said, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 5. Make that your ambition. Lord, I, I, I want to I try and learn. I want to learn. It's a growing process. I want to know what it is that pleases you. And if I don't know it, frankly, Lord, show me. Show me from your word. Enlighten me. And then may I have a will to do it. I challenge you as you would rise in the morning and as you lay your head down at night, unless you work midnights, then it's totally reversed. Lord, did I, did I please you today? And if it's at the start of your day, Lord, may I have it as my ambition. Of all the ambitions that I have and all the things I'm going to have to do today, may it be to please you. Moving quickly on to the second point. Uh, is the work well done? This is the second verse that I think just kind of describes bottom line Christianity. Is the Lord well pleased? And is the work well done? Paul writes here, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. That word workman, it derives from the idea of one who works for another. He works under direction. He's not freelance. He's not self-employed. This verse is taking the idea that he's working under someone. You and I today, as Christians, we're working under someone. We're working for someone. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. When I read this verse, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, maybe the thought comes to you as you read that, those short few words. Why? Why would we be ashamed? And there's a lot of answers to that. And you might have some that cross your mind. And I'll tell you just a couple that crossed mine. I believe one reason why we might be ashamed is because we're aiming too low. Shoddy workmanship. You think about it in the in the realm of somebody that you hire to do something for you. To build something. To fix something. The car. Whatever it is. You ever been a victim of shoddy workmanship? Raise your hand if you have. It drives you bonkers, doesn't it? It, it burns you up. And you know what we sometimes do in certain cases? We say, you know what? I'm never going back there again. You won't get my business. I, I pay for that. Shoddy workmanship. We have in our new comm center that was built a couple years ago. I love the rain and we have windows now for the first time ever. Not the computer type, but the kind you can look out and you can see that there's actually life out there. And a, the rain is pouring on the window and I'm loving it. And all of a sudden I start to see bubbles on, this, on the plaster near the wind sh- uh, window. I thought, I don't think that's supposed to happen. And uh, it dried and went away and I kind of forgot about it. And another day it was raining and all of a sudden water's dripping on the outside, you know. Shoddy workmanship. Still isn't fixed today. Two years later. Lost somewhere in the paper trail. Who knows where? You know how it is if you work in a city. Things can happen like that. Substandard. You think about it. Jesus was a carpenter. What excellent work he did, huh? Wouldn't you love to have purchased one of the works that he did? One of the things that he built and designed as a carpenter. 
I'm sure if he were physically doing that today, the line would go for on forever and ever because it would be perfect to be the best quality work ever done. Jesus, the carpenter. He never disappointed. And so for you and I, when we think of this, I, the verse comes to my mind, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. When you're working, when you're going to school, whatever it is you're doing, if you're working at home, working out of the home, homeschooling, you're working at your job, wherever the Lord has you, whatever he has you doing, do it all for the glory of God. We need to remember those words because life gets weary, doesn't it? It's, there's a certain monotony, a certain mundane to it all, isn't there? And sometimes we kind of forget that the big picture, the big picture of who we're working for is God himself. He is the ultimate employer we're working for, not our boss, who may be the best person since sliced bread or not. A workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, aiming too low. I was talking to a guy who's a dispatcher with me a couple days ago, and he, we were talking, and the subject came up of another officer who professes to be a believer. He said, I know that he says he's a Christian, and he goes to church. He says, but he's one of the rudest person I know. He's had a number of dealings with them. That's sad, isn't it, when you hear that? Very sad. It shouldn't be that way. What do you say? How do you defend that? Would it be said of us? I trust not. Matthew, Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the big idea. What we do doesn't bring glory and attention and honor to ourselves but to him. Someone has said a Christian's life is a window through which others can see Jesus. Is your life a window? Are they seeing Jesus? I just found out this morning from a girl that lives next door. The mother had said to me a week, and a, a week or so ago, actually it was last Thursday, and she said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm anemic. I'm, I'm internally bleeding somewhere. They don't know where. I said, I'll pray for you. Well, having gone down to San Diego State and some other family emergencies and not having seen her, I asked her daughter, I said, how, how did the test go? And she told me this morning, she said, it's, she's got cancer. She's got uh, a tumor on her colon. And she's going to have surgery on September 17th. Right now, she's away with her other daughter in Seattle and her husband. And I said, I'll pray for your mom. So I crossed my mind. I said, you know, Lord, and this is a situation God puts us in. He said, what is it that you want me to do in this situation? How do you want us, my wife and I, as a, as a couple, to minister to this family, our next-door neighbors? Are we going to just pretend we don't know? Are we going to do nothing? Trust not. Is it going to be an opportunity to say, Lord, in the midst of all the other practical things we might be able to do, that work that you have for us in this situation, surely you want us to somehow share the gospel too and trust that the Lord is going to heal this woman spiritually as well as physically. Got to keep our ears open and eyes open, don't we, to all the opportunities that present themselves because they're out there. Another reason we might be ashamed is because it's without sacrifice. You know, remember that verse in First uh, Chronicles 21, if you look at it later this afternoon, it's that section of scripture where he has an opportunity to, to offer up a sacrifice. And he, he can pay for something and this fellow says, I'm going to give it to you and, and David says, no, I'm not going to offer up to the Lord that which costs me nothing. He could have taken it. He's the king. 
But he said, no, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes our problem is, is that we're, we're looking for ways to serve God where it's going to cost us the least. It's going to somehow fit conveniently into our schedule. And sometimes it isn't. But are we willing? Like the song said, Jesus said, in that situation where he's in the garden, he just asked his disciples, will you watch and will you pray? And they found that too hard to do. And so they chose the option of sleep instead. What is it that you're doing today in your service for him? Is it being well done? I want to remind you too on one thing just before we move on to our last point. No work that you and I do is too insignificant for him. He sees everything that you do. And if our motives are pure and we're doing it because we want to honor and please him and serve him, there are people that will never maybe know what it is that you're doing for him. But he's taking notice of it. There's a section of scripture in Zechariah 4.9 where Zerubbabel was building the temple's foundation. And to build a foundation is a hard work. But there was others who thought that that was insignificant. And the, the word of the Lord said, who has despised the day of small things? Building a foundation isn't a small thing. And whatever it is that you're doing isn't a small thing in the eyes of God. It's incredibly important. You know yourself in the part of the body, 1 Corinthians 12, that if you have a thumb injury or some very insignificant injury to a part of your body, you know what it's like. You take that thumb away and try and maneuver with the other fingers, it's a bit tough. That little thumb has a huge importance. And we all are important. All of us are somebody in Christ's body. God help us to have strength and stamina and endurance and undivided attention in whatever our work is for him. Which leads me to the last point. I'd like you to think too, is the word well used? Paul says, who correctly handles the word of truth? That idea of correctly handles, it's also translated rightly divides. You handle the scriptures correctly. It's been compared in the analogy of a plow. You know, back in the days, I'm sure we've seen it, where back you think of a donkey and it's, and it's got the plow and the guy is just walking that plow. Isn't it amazing how straight the line is? It's pretty bizarre when you see if you saw a field that was just like this. It's not the way it's done. It's straight, rightly divided, correctly handled the word of truth. I've been, I have to be perfectly honest with you, impressed just with how much study is going to be required in college. I'd forgotten when I heard this. And my daughter said, you know, I've got 75 pages I've got to read every day. I have to finish this book and I've got a week to finish. I thought, wow, better you than me. Better you than me. My daughter, who's uh, one class away from going into nursing, was given an assignment in microbiology. She's got to memorize these words. She's got one week to do it. She's got to memorize these words, spell them right, and say what they mean. I said, let me see this paper. What are you talking about? Well, one of these words is hemophilius. I can't pronounce it. She's going to have to. H-A-E-M-O-P-H-I-L-U-S. Second word, A-E-G-Y-P-T-I-U-S. It's conjunctivitis or pink eye. Diseases or conditions caused by some bacteria. 
One other one here is Y-E-R-S-I-N-I-A, Yersinia pistis. What's that mean? That's the bubonic plague. She's studying to be a nurse. You want her to know this stuff, don't you? You don't want her to tell you you've got hemophilus apitis, which is conjunctivitis, when really you've got bubonic plague, do you? You don't want her to tell you've got leprosy, whatever, however you say that word, when it actually is you've got pneumonia. You want her to rightly divide, correctly handle what she's been given. Unfortunately, right now, my mother-in-law is um, very seriously ill. Cindy's mother in, in the hospital at Kaiser. She, a couple weeks ago, went in for respiratory failure. actually called 911 on the night I picked up the actual phone to answer it, and she was in respiratory failure. She was in Kaiser for nine days, and then, unfortunately, a couple of days ago, had another serious uh, occurrence, and it had congestive heart failure, and is back in uh, critical care in Kaiser Hayward. And, you know, as I was watching these nurses and doctors working on her, and it was very, very touch-and-go uh, for a good part of a couple nights ago as to whether or not she was going to make it. And ultimately, the Lord knows that, doesn't he? But the nurses told us, you probably should get your family members and uh, anyone that would want to see her, you should probably get them to the hospital right away. And as I was watching these nurses work and doctors work, these people who are, are handling these, these tools and all of these, these instruments, it's, it's, you want that, don't you, in that situation of acute emergency? for someone you love or for yourself. I thought, you know, if I had to go into this situation, I had to go into critical care and I had to start all this equipment, all these monitors, all these different things, all these shots I can do and IVs and this and that and the other, I would have no clue what to do. What would bring life to one in my hands would bring death for sure. God wants us to rightly divide the word. But in order to do that, we've got to know it. She's got all of this studying to do. She's not going to be a nurse. You can take rest assured at that. She's not going to be a nurse tomorrow. It's four more years of study and study and study. And you and I, if we're going to rightly divide this book, if we're going to correctly handle it, if we're going to be able to give a word in season and out of season to a heart that needs to hear it, we need to know it. Is there going to be times when there's going to be something better that we think we should do with our time? Obviously, God knows our schedule. He knows our lives. He knows there's things we need to do. But we shouldn't put this aside for something that's less. We need to spend regular time in that. And you know what that is. I can't say that for you. But you know. Are you a person who's becoming a student of the Word? The Bible is the Scripture, it's been said, is His thoughts on paper. We have the thoughts of God recorded for us. There's a lot of thoughts that go out there. There's a lot of thoughts. I listen to talk radio, sports, and news a lot. And I listen just talk, 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 talk. Matter of fact, I heard, unfortunately, the other day, a man that I believe professes to be a believer on a talk radio station discussing the issue of abortion and the issue of the death penalty. And the, unfortunately, the host said, you know, I could give, I'm going to give you human reasoning. I could give you the Bible. I could tell you what the Bible says, but I'm not going to go there. And I thought, that shouldn't be that way. If anything, the only thing maybe somebody's going to remember is giving them the word. Maybe it's just one verse. 
You and I don't need to be giving our human reasoning. We need to be giving people what the scripture is saying. I know people will say, well, I don't know what I don't want to know what the Bible says. What do you think? It's very hard for us to do that, isn't it? If we're walking in the spirit, it's like, well, I can't really tell you anything other than what God tells me, because that's where my authority comes from, for why I say what I say. From the scriptures, it's God breathed inerrant without any falseness. It's going to be a lot of times in our, in our quiet time when, like I said, you could be doing a lot of good things. But maybe we need to start saying a little bit more often, rather than just doing the good thing, I'm going to do the best thing right now. I'm going to turn off that television. I'm going to turn off that radio. I'm going to get to bed a little bit earlier so that I can get up a little bit earlier and I can meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. May God help us as we start this new Christian calendar year, if you like. Maybe I'm introducing a new thought. May he help us to be those who have it, that our hearts want to please him, that we want to be workers for him, laborers for him, that do a good job, not shoddy workmanship, not work that embarrasses him because it's a bad testimony. And may we be the kind of people that are growing in our knowledge of this wonderful book and loving the God who wrote it. Let's pray. Lord, the bottom line is, is we want to tell you that we love you. We want to tell you that we want to please you. We want to be those kind of workers that serve you wholeheartedly, Lord. We think of all that you've done for us, how you've saved us, how you went to the cross so that we'll never have to spend an eternity in hell. We want to tell you that while you've got us here on earth, renew our hearts. We want to renew our commitment, our dedication, Lord. We want you to help us and give us strength to want to serve you wholeheartedly. And we want to be people, Lord, who handle the word of God correctly, rightly dividing it. We want to be protected from false doctrine. We want to be protected from believing false things that aren't true. We want to know what the truth is. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to do this. We know, Lord, one day is in my, with my daughters, there's going to, there's tests. There's lots of quizzes. And we know one day, Lord, there's going to be a judgment seat where you're going to evaluate our work. You're going to evaluate our lives as believers. Lord, we don't want to stand before you ashamed. We don't want to stand before you with our head down wishing that we had done different. Forgive us, God, where we have gone off path where we have gone half-hearted and, and uh, distracted. And may our desire be renewed today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.